Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. No, there are no straight lines. So for me, there was not a huge amount of like long-term planning. Um, at a certain point, I, think, I felt like I needed a long-term plan, but then what I also found is that any long-term plan immediately hits the ugly truth of reality and then becomes a joke. And so for me, I think very carefully about what's next, what's next. E.L. Doctorow, the great novelist, had this lovely metaphor for writing. I think it's true at some levels for careers and for life, which is that you're driving on a dark night and you have your headlights on and you can only see, you know, a few meters ahead of you. And that's sometimes aggravating. But the thing is, you can make the whole journey that way. And that's sort of how I feel about it. So what I do, when you asked about books, it's like, I don't have any long-term strategy for the books. I just find something that I find an idea, a set of stories, a concept that I find so irresistible that I'm willing to endure the torture of writing it and to get the pleasure of being able to talk about it for the rest of my life. When we experience regret, it's somehow an aberration when in fact everybody experiences regret. Regret makes us human. Regret is part of the human condition. What's more, we think that regret makes us weaker when in fact the research shows that done right, regret can make us stronger, that we can enlist our regrets as a, an engine for forward progress. So, um, so what I'm trying to do in this book is reclaim regret as an indispensable emotion. Uh, what's more is that in a weird way, regret also taught me about what makes a good life because as I had you know, collected 16,000 regrets from people in 105 countries. And when they told me their regrets, in a sense, they were also telling me about what made life worth living.
I think you're going to see regret in a new light and not be scared of it, but instead realize that regret gives you the clues to lead a life of success and meaning and contribution. Um, one of the things that's interesting that I, that I find is that we tend to think that leadership is about, mostly about assertion, mostly about announcing and talking, when in fact I think that it is as much about humility and listening as it is in anything. And the thing is, it's like most of us are terrible listeners, in part because in our schools we don't teach people to listen. If we had to distill it to four words, talk less, listen more. I understand that no regrets philosophy. The problem is, is that it's not possible because we all have regrets. Now, we should try to minimize our future regrets, but the idea that you should never look backward on your life and say, oh, I wish I had done things differently is actually a terrible blueprint for living. Um, and, and I think one of the problems is, you know, especially in North America, is that we're a little over-indexed on positivity. You know, positive emotions are incredibly important and they should outnumber our negative emotions, but we need some negative emotions because they instruct us. And our most prominent negative emotion is regret. And because regret teaches us, it instructs us, it clarifies us. Uh, it clarifies what's, what we should be doing and how we should be doing it. And so, um, and so we need to understand how to deal with our negative emotions. We can't ignore them like no regrets. We can't wallow in them like, oh my God, it's so terrible, I'm such an awful person. What we need to do is we need to think about our regrets. And when we think about our regrets, the evidence is pretty clear that they can help us make better decisions, solve problems faster, be better strategists, find greater meaning in our life. Regret hurts. There's no question about that. But here's the thing. Regret also instructs, and you can't have one without the other. So what you have to do is, so if you avoid the pain, you don't get any of the learning. So what you have to do is be able to process that pain. And I think there's a way for us to do that, to take our regrets, use them as signals. We haven't been taught to do that. That's the problem. We have this weird view of negative emotions. Like some of us think, oh, positive all the time. Da, 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 da. That leads to delusion. Some of us get so absorbed in our negative emotions that they, in some ways, exonerate us from making progress. That's a bad idea too. What we need to do is we need to process our negative emotions in a, in a, in a systematic way. And I, and I think there's a good way to do that. Don't ignore it. Don't dodge it. Just confront it. It's much less fearsome than you think. And this way that I think that we can process our regrets is very healthy. So one thing you can do is you can, ref you know, like I, I feel like there's three simple steps that you can take to turn your regrets into engines for progress. One of them is to reframe the regret and the way you think about yourself. So a lot of times when we have a regret, one reason that we try to avoid it is that if we really confront it, we start lacerating ourselves, saying, you, you know, our, our self-talk is, you're an idiot, what are you talking about? Um, and what we should do instead is, it sounds gooey, but what we should do instead is treat ourselves with kindness. There's a body of research in what's called self-compassion, which is treating ourselves with kindness rather than contempt. Um, thinking about our own missteps as part of the human condition, not something that only we do. Um, looking at our missteps not as fully definitional of who we are, but as just one part of who we are. And so just sort of being a little better to ourselves. The second thing you can do, which we see, which is a reason why we had 16,000 people offer up their regrets, is disclosure. Disclosure is itself inherently valuable. We know that it relieves a burden, but the other thing, when we talk about our regrets or even write about them, 
we take this blobby, amorphous, negative emotion and convert it into words, and that makes it less fearsome, and it begins the sense-making process. So there's a pile of evidence showing that talking about our regrets, even writing about them privately, is a way to defang them. And finally, what we need to do, which is essential, is we need to, you know, we can, we can look inward, all right, we can express outward, but then we, gotta, we gotta move forward. And the way to do that, in my mind, is to take a step back and extract a lesson from it. Uh, what would you tell your best friend to do? Uh, if, you if you were looking back on this decision 10 years from now, what would you want to have done? If someone else were in your position, what would she do? And, and I think this process of looking inward and treating ourselves with some kindness, expressing outward and disclosing the regret as a way to make sense of it, and then moving forward by taking a step back and extracting a lesson is relatively simple to do and allows us to take these regrets and not be scared of them and not let them debilitate us, but to enlist them as forces for moving forward. What I like to do is, I'm sort of trying to reach the people on, on either side of that. So the people who feel debilitated by their regrets, I, you know, my view is, listen, take one, go through this process, you can enlist it as a force for good, but I also want to do a wake-up call to the people who think they don't have any regrets. Um, and so what I want to do is, in some sense, I guess, normalize it, because it is normal. That's the thing. Regrets are part of the human condition. They exist for a reason. They're part of our cognitive machinery. The only people without regrets are five-year-olds, people with brain damage, and sociopaths. The rest of us have regrets, you know? And so instead of, instead of denying that humanity, let's embrace it and use it.